You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the sixth week of our series called Church on the Move. And as I've just explained to you, we are literally a church that is on the move right now. Uh, We are getting ready to move everything quite literally, from one location to another location. And we've just been going through this series. The reason is, is because every time you move, it's stressful. Every time you have to move, even if it's just a mile down the road, there's changes that take place. And we want to make sure that we all know what the vision is. We want to make sure that we all know why we are doing what we're doing. Uh, And we want to make sure that we're all going to be good with where we're going in the future as Revolution Church. Today, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at verses 15 to 19. Uh, I was reminded when I was studying this week, my sermon, uh, something that happened about seven years ago. It may not have been seven years ago, actually. It may have been about six years ago. Uh, We were in staff meeting, and my son Titus, who was around uh, probably five or six at the time, walks into our staff meeting when we were all kind of taking a break and getting something to drink and going to the restroom and so on. And he sits down in the middle of our staff meeting and he starts to tell my staff that my wife and I had put a dog shock collar on him and that we were shocking him with this dog shock collar. Now, I was sitting there looking at my son saying, that's not true. We weren't doing that. Tell them. And he was sticking to his story. He was trying to convince them that we had put a dog shock collar, which that week we had bought for our dog so she wouldn't run off, and we had put it on him and were shocking him. Uh, Later when we got home, I said, Titus, do you want people to come take you away from us? Because if you tell people that, that's what's going to happen. Well, my son uh, was making up a story. He had concocted this story uh, to try to be funny. In the book of Colossians, the Colossian church was dealing with false prophets that have concocted false stories about who Jesus is. Today, my sermon is titled, It's All About Jesus. And we're going to talk today about how at Revolution Church, we have to make sure that we understand that Jesus is the main thing. Uh, What we're doing is not just trying to be horizontal to reach people. The main thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to glorify God. We are trying to get vertical in our worship and make everything about Jesus. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, believe it or not, uh, most scholars agree that this is actually a song or a hymn that was sung among Christians. Uh, Music is a big part of the church. We do it every single Sunday at almost every single event we do. In every single ministry, we have some form of music where we sing together as Christians. Uh, and in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 19, it's a hymn that's written about Christ that's meant to communicate His supremacy to a church that is struggling with that false doctrine that those false prophets are making up about Jesus. If you look at the history of music in the church, you'll find that it's very important. In A.D. 111, for instance, Emperor Trajan asked Roman Governor Finney the Younger to investigate 
who he called the unusual group known as the Christians. Well, Roman governor Finney the, the Younger wrote back to Emperor Trajan. This is one of the things he wrote. This is one thing we found about the Christians. They meet regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately among themselves in honor of Christ as if He is God. Some of the other passages of Scripture that you'll find in Scripture uh, that are commonly referred to as hymns or maybe songs that were sung by the early church is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 16, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, Hebrews 1, verse 3, and 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 22. You see this sprinkled all throughout the New Testament, the importance of praising God through song. Today, uh, we've got a lot of uh, songs in the church that we sing. Revolution Church has a whole lot of songs. We sing Amazing Grace. Everybody knows that one. Raise a Hallelujah is a really popular one here at Revolution Church. Uh, I don't know if you know the name of this song, but it's a song that we sing pretty regularly called Graves in the Gardens. And it's all about how Jesus takes things and fixes things and He's the answer to everything and He's supreme. If you're old school in here, maybe you grew up in the 90s, uh, and you were in a Christian youth group, maybe you know who DC Talk is, and they sang stuff like Jesus Freak. It was all about Jesus. Well, I actually want to show you guys one of the playlists that I actually have on my Spotify. Is it Spotify or Spotify? I call it Spotify. Uh, but this is my worship playlist, and if you're a Christian and you're watching this, every single one of you should have a playlist titled Worship Playlist. And these are some of the songs that I actually listen to on the regular when I'm by myself in my quiet time trying to praise Jesus. Music is very, very important. And again, in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see a song about the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. I heard this story about this guy uh, that went to rob a house. And it was dark in the house and nobody was home. And uh, he goes into the living room and he can barely see anything. He's just got a little lamp on his head where he's trying to rummage through the family's things and find the things that are valuable. And he hears someone say, I see you and Jesus sees you too. Well, he looks around and he can't really see anything because it's dark. And he thinks to himself, you know, what, what, what in the world? Maybe I'm losing my mind and I just, maybe that was a radio. I don't know what that was. And he starts going through stuff again. And then he hears again. This voice say, I see you, and Jesus sees you too. This time it's a little louder. Well, then he goes and he tries to find the light switches because he's like, what in the world? I don't know who it is that's saying this. So he turns one of the light switches on. He looks across the room, and there sitting, sitting on a little stoop is a parrot. A parrot that says, once again, I see you, and Jesus sees you too. Well, when he sees the parrot, he goes, oh, man, thank goodness. It's just a parrot. I don't have anything to worry about. He turns around to start to steal something again. And sitting on the floor in front of him, growling, is a 150-pound pit bull. The parrot says, Sick him, Jesus! Jesus is supreme. He sees everything. You know, the things that we don't even see, Jesus sees. He's in control of everything. And we're going to see that today as we go verse by verse through Colossians chapter 1. 
uh, verses 15 through 19. Let's start uh, in verse 15 and let's talk about how Jesus is over five things today. It starts like this in verse 15. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Verse 17 could be thrown in here as well. We'll skip over verse 16. We'll read it again here in just a second. But it also applies to this point when it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The first point is simply this, that Jesus is over time. Jesus is over time, and this is a big deal. Jesus, as it says in this opening verse of this hymn, is the highest ranking of all eternity. It says that He is the image of the invisible God. This is similar language that's used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 that says Jesus is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Now, this verse in Hebrews, the word for exact representation is where we get the word character and it is a term used in reference to an engraved character or an impress made by a die or steel. Think of like a coin that has the impression of a president on it. That's what it means. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Greek word for image is the Greek word ikon. And what it means is he is equal to the Father. Keep in mind as well that this is singular. It's not plural. The. Jesus is the image of the Father, not an image of the Father. The major point that's being made here is to know God, you must focus on the image of God. In other words, to know God, you must focus on Jesus because He is God. Another way to put this would be that Jesus is the only one that has ever existed that makes the invisible God visible. God never communicated more clearly who He is than through the life of Jesus. Let's continue in verse 16. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Point number two, Jesus is over creation. Three times in these verses, creation is mentioned. Now, it may be kind of confusing because it uses this phrase, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Uh, the NLT translation of the Bible actually does a much better job of translating this because it says Jesus is supreme over all creation. This is a figurative use of the phrase firstborn, and it emphasizes Christ's place as supreme authority over creation, not so much the first creature within creation. It's His supreme authority over creation. The term firstborn here can mean two different things. It can mean a parent's oldest child, or, and this is the context that's being used in here, it can mean the chief heir of a father's legacy and someone that is preeminent in rank. Firstborn here was a statement used in describing Jesus that represents Jesus' supremacy, not chronology. It represents Jesus being over creation, uh, not just the place when Jesus was created. Jesus wasn't created. 
He created all things. It says in this verse, for in Him all things were created. Now the question is, what does Paul mean when he says all things? Well, what Paul means is all things. Everybody say that with me. One, two, three. All things. Type it in the comments if you're watching on Facebook. He means that He created all things. One of my favorite shows to watch, you may not like it, you may like it, but it's called Parks and Rec. And Parks and Rec has one of the greatest TV characters that I believe has ever been created on a show, a man by the name of Ron Swanson. One time, Ron Swanson went into a diner and he told the waiter, he'd had a long day, he looked at the waiter and he said, son, I want all the bacon, all the bacon that you guys have. And the waiter started to walk away and Ron Swanson said, hold on, come back, come back. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I want, what I said was, I want all the bacon that you have. He was making sure he understood he wanted it all. Paul is making sure that we understand Jesus created all things. He created the earth, the sun, the stars, the galaxies, everything in all creation, Jesus created. He created it all. Now this was important because in the church in in, uh, Colossae, there was a heresy that combined Greek mysticism and Jewish legalism. And what it's known as is Gnosticism. Uh, The Greek word gnosis means knowledge. And so there were people, see if this sounds familiar in the church today, there were people that claimed to know more than anyone else, or in other words, they had special revelation. And the heresy that they would teach was that God was good, but the material world was evil. Therefore, a good God couldn't have created an evil world. And what they taught was there was emanations or false gods that created the material world. And what they were teaching the church in Colossae was that Jesus was one of these emanations. They taught things like Jesus didn't have a physical body. They denied the deity of Jesus. They denied the humanity of Jesus. And Paul, in this statement, it's like he's screaming from the rooftop, hey, false teachers, Jesus is supreme. He's the greatest. He's the first. He's predominant. He's preeminent. He's prevailing. He is the one that created all things and all things were created for Him. He made it, so He's in charge of it. Jesus is over all things that are created. Let's continue in verse 18 and look at the third point. It says in verse 18, and He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything we might have the supremacy. Point number three is Jesus is over the church. I love that it says here, He is the head of the body of the church. It reiterates something that we see all throughout the New Testament, the book of Corinthians, uh, the book of Ephesians, three different places, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, Ephesians 5, 23, talking about a husband and a wife, talks about how Jesus is the head of the church and the head of families. And and so this, this phrase that Jesus is the head over the church, we see all throughout the New Testament. And what it symbolizes and tells us is a few things. Number one, Jesus is what unites the church. See, the church is not a country club. The church is not supposed to be as many churches. Maybe they don't mean to do this, but they put this off. We're the cool kids in town. Uh, This is the cool lunch table where all the cool kids sit. They go to this church. 
That's not what unites the church. What unites the church is Jesus. And the idea at Revolution Church that we've got to keep in mind is everyone is welcome. We want anyone that has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ to come and hear the gospel because once again, it's all about Jesus. He's what unites us. It's not a a fancy vision statement. It's not a denomination. It's none of those things because after all, what's our slogan? No perfect people allowed. Nobody can put anything perfect together, but we have Jesus who is perfect and keeps the church together. Jesus is the head of the church. Make no mistake, it is not a pastor. It is not a pope. It is not a congregation that gets to vote on everything. It is not an elder board. It's not a deacon board. It's not bishops. It is Jesus that is the head of the church. I know many of you have heard the story of when we found out the movie theater was for sale. And uh, we went to meet with the old Rocky Top 10 owners and we sat in their office. And the very first question that one of the owners asked me when I sat down in his office was literally, Pastor Josh, tell me, who gave you the vision for Revolution Church? And guess what? I had a one word answer for him. Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus gave us the vision for Revolution Church. Jesus is the one who keeps us going. Jesus is the reason why we do every single thing we do. It's why our number one value here at Revolution Church, the first thing we want to get across to people is we want people to know Jesus. If we failed at getting people to know Jesus and we just help them psychologically and and preach you know, these popcorn sermons that, that make them feel good when they leave on Sundays, but we don't help them know Jesus, we have done nothing. We've kicked the can down the road. So it's all about Jesus. We've got to be careful, Rev Church, because we're getting ready to move into a season, and we are in the middle of that season where God has His hand more than ever on our church. He's blessing our church tremendously right now. He's given us a facility. We've got all these people that are coming to church, all these kids that are coming to church. Every ministry is blowing up and reaching more people than ever. But what we got to remember is it's all about Jesus. It's not about money. It's not about the building that God has given us. He gave us the old Rocky Top 10 Theater so we could make Jesus more famous. So we could reach more people with the gospel of Jesus. It's not about the numbers. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but that's not the main thing. It's not about our wants. It's not about preaching politics. It's not about ministries that we start. Lots of Christians can get really busy doing all kinds of different ministries and forget the main thing. It's not about staying busy with church programs. It's all about Jesus. Secondly, in these verses, we see that Jesus is over death. I love what it says. It says He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. There's been a lot of people uh, in the Bible that have been resuscitated from the dead. In other words, what I mean is they've been raised from the dead, but later on in their life, they did die. Jesus is the first person and only person ever in history that was resurrected from the dead. In other words, He was raised from the dead never to die again. 
Jesus stands alone in this. It says He's the firstborn from the dead. In other words, we've already talked about that name, firstborn. He's the most important person ever to be raised from the dead. I love that in the church and in Christianity, we have a different view of death. You know, when the world uh, has someone die, they say things like, well, I don't know if you've heard these before. Some of these I had never heard, but I looked them up. Uh, when someone dies, now they're going west. They kicked the bucket. They passed away. They're pushing up daisies. They're sleeping with the fishes. How many of y'all heard that before in those old gangster movies? They croak. They're six feet under. They're checked out. How about this one? We know we said this one before. They bought the farm. They bit the dust. All of those have a finality to them. They're done. They are no more. Well, the church doesn't say things like this when somebody passes away. The church says stuff like, well, they've met their maker. They gave up the ghost. They're no longer with us. They're with Jesus. Uh, I've heard somebody say before, they crossed over the Jordan to the promised land. People say when somebody dies, they're in glory. People in the church, when someone knows Christ, they say they've gone to heaven. They're in the arms of Jesus. They found peace. They found rest. They joined the church triumphant is one I found. That's an old school one. They've gone to heaven. And the thing that I hear more than any other when I'm at a funeral preaching, a funeral of someone that loved Jesus, and it's a bunch of Christians, is they went home. They went home. You see the difference? It's not a finality. It's a beginning. And that's what this verse is talking about. It's interesting, if you read through the New Testament, some of the most comforting, powerful, incredible Scriptures seem to be very morbid, really in essence, because they talk about death. Uh, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's crazy talk. We'd rather be away from the body and with the Lord. We'd rather be out of this world and with Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When you accept Christ and you accept the gospel, you don't die. I love what one preacher said. You're going to read one day that I'm dead, but don't believe it for a second. In that moment, I'll be more alive than I have ever been. That's what 1 Timothy is talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 through 58. You know these verses. Even if you're not a Christian and don't go to church, you've heard these before. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that has been written will come true. And this is what this verse is talking about. Death has been swallowed up in victory, the victory on the cross. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeating death essentially gets us to our last point. And that is, Jesus is supreme. In everything. Let's look at the last couple of verses. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus, really what this song is saying? 
can be summarized in the last point, is over everything. It uses the word fullness here. The Gnostics would say, these false prophets that were teaching made up things, that God gives small doses of truth, small doses of revelation to certain people. And those people would manipulate people and say, you better listen to us because God won't give the full truth. Well, here Paul uses this term fullness to let the church know that Jesus is the full truth. He is the fullness. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is creator. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the almighty. Jesus is the alpha and omega. Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the advocate. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the Christ. It's all about Jesus. I'll close with this story. And I don't think my wife's going to like this story, but I think it's funny. One time, I texted my wife and I was going to a pizza place. And I said, and this may be true, it may not. It may just be a sermon example. You'll have to judge for yourself. But I said, hey, I texted her and said, I'm going uh, to stop at the pizza place on the way home. What do you want? And she sent a picture back of me. And I was like, what in the world? I texted her and said, what does that mean? She said, thick, crusty, supreme is what I want. Supreme pizza means it has all the toppings. It means the best. It means you get a little bit of everything. You got it all on a supreme pizza. That's what Jesus is. He's supreme over everything. The Supreme Court is the highest ranking court in the land. Once it gets there, it doesn't go any higher. That's Jesus. He's highest ranking in all the land. Rev Church, we're going to stay all about Jesus as we are a church on the move. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We thank you for every single person that's joining us today. Uh, God, I just pray for our church. I pray that we remember this is such an, uh, a simple sermon, an easy message, but it's, it's easy to preach. It's easy to say we agree with this, but it's so difficult in our actions to stay all about Jesus. So I pray for us corporately that this church continues to be all about Jesus. What we've done for 10 years, and we will never change that. I pray for everyone individually that they recognize the supremacy of Christ and how they need to be all about making Jesus famous and glorifying God in their life. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks for joining us, guys. We love you, and we'll see you soon. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.